Hello and welcome to Rear View, the show where we get to chat to the fascinating people from the murdering universe, learning how they got to where they are today. I'm Andrew and this is episode 28. I'm delighted to be joined by David Austin, who is the owner of Lobster Diecast. Welcome to Rear View, David. Let's kick things straight off with what is Lobster Diecast? Well, hello. Um, Lobster Diecast is, um, we are a retailer and supplier primarily of diecast model cars, um, both to retail customers and we supply a number of professional corporate customers with their diecast model requirements as well. Mm. Now, you have a rather lovely website, and it is. I, I, I do need to, I meant to say this to you, to compliment you on how easy it is to get around your website, because there are so many out there still today that it is difficult to get around website. But yours is a joy Thank to you. use, let alone what I'm looking at. Uh, but it is a joy <laughs> to use. So uh, I wanted to compliment you on that. Thank you. Yeah, we, we've spent a lot of time trying to make it user-friendly and just to be, just to make it an easy experience for people. Well, you've succeeded. Wonderful. Uh, congratulations. Right. Before we delve into uh, into that side of things, I want to, as I do at the start of every show, go back into history because clearly you have an interest in cars. Uh, yes. Uh, if anybody who follows you on Twitter, and if they don't, well, we will have links in the show notes and all the rest of it. You clearly have an interest in cars as, yes. well, as, as well as this. So let's let's go and find out. Do you know... Uh, or are you? Have you been told when you first got interested in cars, and did anyone help that along? Um, well, I think I think it's at this point I slip onto the um, rearview couch and be analysed, isn't it? Um, but yes, yes I, welcome to rearview. We're listening. <laughs> yeah. um, I think pretty much from the time I could stand up. Um, my parents tell me that for some reason, from a very early age, I was quite obsessed with Ford Cortinas. I do not know why, um, but as as long as I remember, I have always been interested in cars. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, it, it obviously came from my parents. Um, and I, when I was growing up, there was an awful lot of sort of the Dukes of Hazard and that sort of thing on TV. Um, and to a young boy, that would be very, very influential. Um, yes. <laughs> and I remember sort of family holidays, sort of you, you'd be walking around and I'd be the one looking in the garage and sort of, oh, yeah, that's what that looks interesting. Um and just, I've always just liked liked cars. Like I say, as long as I can remember, back to having sort of matchbox cars and all that sort of thing. Um, and it's always been something I've been interested in. Um, my dad never had anything in the way of sort of a glamorous, um, sexy sports cars or anything like that. But um, he bought Motoring News as it was then, um, and I remember pouring over that weekly um, with all the sort of F1 stuff in the eighties um, when it was good. Um, and, and it's basically just developed from there, that my obsession, I suppose. Excellent. So when you went to school, did did you uh, believe that you could do anything in uh, sort of job-wise in the car, it, car world and therefore tailor lessons, the choices that way? Um, or were you just a traditional obsessed child on cars and I happen to have to go to school as well. Yeah, I think very much the latter. Um, I never really did anything at school relating to cars. I do remember at high school um, they had a motor vehicle workshop, which I think they had essentially mothballed by the time I was at high school. Um, And uh, we had cycling proficiency lessons in this very workshop. And it had at the time, I think it was an Austin 1100 and perhaps a Mark 1 Escort sat in there, but they never actually did anything with them at school. Why they were still there is perhaps an unanswered question that I will never, ever learn. Um, 
but I would have loved to. But no, other than that at school, I never really did anything relating to cars or that would sort of lead me in this direction. Um, so no, not really. Okay, so so when did you? Um, yeah, obviously you you've continued this uh, interest. We'll we'll drop obsession now because mm, yeah, we'll yeah. try and be kind. <laughs> <laughs> but we're all obsessed. Well, we are, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but this deep interest mm. in in cars and everything has carried on. And then you you go through school, you finish school. What did you move on to after that? I did school. I did GCSEs as everybody else does, and I did A levels and my A levels. Uh, what did I do? I did business studies. I did something else. And to be honest, even at that stage, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my future, as I guess an awful lot of 18-year-olds don't. And I got to the point where I finished my A-levels and decided that I didn't really want to go any further with education. I didn't want to go to university. Um, so I wanted to go out and get a job, earn some money, and because that would pay for cars. Um, and that is basically the most important thing. Mm-hmm. So... Obviously, I took the natural career route for someone who is interested in cars and went to work for the local council as a trainee quantity surveyor. Obviously. Obviously. And I think I lasted at that about six months, and I hated it every last moment. Um, One brick, two brick, lots of It was, yeah. I mean, I was was on a day-release programme studying building studies, and I have never done anything that I was so not interested in. Um, and I was I was to the point where Sunday night I hated it because I knew I had to go back and do this thing again on the Monday, um, and I, no, it was it was not me at all. And I sat down and thought to myself, what do I actually want to do? What am I interested in? And basically, I'm interested in cars. So I I think what I did was I wrote to because obviously this is in the dark ages before we had internets and things. Um, I wrote to loads and loads of um, local dealers. Um, have you got any jobs sort of thing and Mm. I got a reply back from a local Renault dealer um, which happy days Um, they said yeah we'd like to come down and have an interview I went down and had an interview and I started um, working for them Uh, what were you doing Um, initially um, I was a service advisor Um, I did that for a couple of months and the garage acquired a franchise for practical car rental um, and also an FSO car franchise. And I was then moved to be um, a car rental receptionist at the Practical Car Rental franchise, um, which was fantastic. It was interesting. Um, at the time, um, the Practical Car Rental business model was that they used used cars for their rental fleet. Um, and this being quite a small sort of family-owned business, the method of acquiring fleet was that basically the managing director went to the auctions or saw what he got as trade-ins and used all sorts of old rubbish. Um, right. I specifically <laughs> remember we had... So you got good dealing with the uh, dummies limitation then? Oh, my God, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, there were, it was frequent that you got vans with 150,000 miles on. We had, um, I remember the pride of the fleet, if you will, which was the, the newest car, was I think this would be about 1993, and I think we had an Escort that was about one or two years old, and it was red. And you could sit in the showroom and look at it, and you could count the different shades of red on it. Um, <laughs> it had obviously spent a lot of time inside a uh, paint shop. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had other stuff, like we were running um, stuff that was 10 years old. Remember, we had um, a Renault 18, um, and the lacquer was peeling off it. And it, it rented out for nine ninety nine a day, if I remember rightly. And I suppose for that, even then, it was pretty good value. But, God, there was some rubbish. 
Um, <laughs> fortunately, or perhaps not, after about six months of this, um, the FSO car franchise wasn't the most popular thing in the world. Um, really? I think they sold one. Do surprise me. Yeah, I think they sold one. Um, and basically the place went bust. And that was me sort of made redundant. Um, so from there on in, I did the same thing again, wrote to a load of dealers and said, look, this is what I've been doing. This is who I am. Um, and I got a job um, at a local VW dealer who um, they had just started a Volkswagen rental thing. And it was the same thing again. I was doing um, car rental, which is, mm-hmm. I mean, I spent 18 years in the motor trade and I think I did car rental virtually all of it. Um, and I have to say, I loved it. Um, what, 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 what did you particularly like? The variety. Um, I think um, for anybody who's ever worked in car rental, you don't. You tend to find no two days are the same. Um, you get to meet an awful lot of people, some of whom are quite interesting, some of whom are less um, interesting and trustworthy. Um, <laughs> but you meet an awful lot of characters. Um, and I, I, enjoy, I really enjoyed the variety of it. Um, and I met some fantastic people and, yeah, um, had a really, really good time at it. Um, so, yeah, I did a few years at VW, um, moved on to, let's have a think, moved on to work for a thrifty car rental franchise, um, which was pretty good. And then I went to work for a manufacturer. And then after that, um, a large national dealer group um, mm-hmm. who I left about seven years ago, something like that. Um, okay. And yeah, it, I worked. Was that, was that your choice? Yes, it was. Yes. Okay, um, so you, you've you've stepped away from this. Yeah. So you you must have a plan for what you were doing next. Um, with hindsight, yeah, I think so. Um, basically, lobster diecasters existed for ten years. Um, oh, okay. So you'd already started. Yes, we'd already well, started. Um, was this okay? Then, well, um, we're, we're jumping into lobster. Sorry. Um, already. No, no, no. This is good. This is good because what I want to ask is what first, um, what first made you think about starting it then um it started um as basically um lobster diecast is myself and my wife ellie um she finished university um and basically didn't have a great deal to do um she was looking on the internet um for a model of a car for me as a present and didn't find one but came across um a wholesaler um and thought well, to give ourselves something to do, earn a bit of money, um, let's buy some models and just stick them on eBay, sell them. Um, and that's basically how we started. Um, £500 worth of model cars. Um, I remember we started, I think we went down one Thursday um, and sort of spent all this money. And then all the £500 isn't actually that much money in terms of model cars. It's surprising how much it doesn't get you, even 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, we stuck these all on eBay, did quite well, thought, okay, we'll do that again. Um, and it basically sort of carried on like that. Um, and we did that for the first couple of years. And it was, we were doing reasonably well out of that. And the thing that made me sort of think, hang on, we could do this full time, is we were starting to find we were getting to be quite successful. Um, we'd started our own, um, albeit small and not particularly brilliant website, which was going quite well. Um, it coincided with um, the birth of my oldest son. Um, and I was finding that I was working in Liverpool. I was driving 70 miles each way. I was leaving the house at half six in the morning, getting home at half six, seven o'clock at night. 
and it was killing me. And I thought, I can't do this anymore. So, mm. and with high- they're not particularly lovely roads to be on either. Let no, it distance. wasn't. No, um, <laughs> it was fairly hard work. Um, and I just thought, no, this isn't what I want to do with the rest of my life. Um, so we decided, and with hindsight, giving up a full time job when I've got a newborn child to sell model cars does seem slightly out there in terms of logic and all that sort of thing. But um, I think it was about seven, could be eight, yeah, no, seven years ago, I said, right, that's it, I'm finishing. Um, we're going to make a go of this. We had a reasonably good idea we could do it. Um, mm. We we had tested it, obviously, over the previous two and a half, three years, um, and thought, yes, there is a potential if we can spend more time on it, um, which obviously me being full-time would give us, um, then we can perhaps do reasonably well um, mm. and make a success of it. Yeah, you, you hadn't just gone, oh, I can't stand this anymore. Right, no. I will now go and weave baskets or something. That's it, yeah. Random. yeah it, you know, it you, wasn't... You, you've been working. This had been plugging away as a side project. Yes. Uh, well, not so side for your wife, but a side um, project thing um, from focus from a focus point of view. So yeah, I mean, she was she, she was sort of running it all up to that point, and we were sort of of the opinion that you know if we can spend more time on this, put more effort into it, we can get um, we can sort of widen the scope of what we do. Um, we can do an awful lot more. Um, we can sort of market the business properly, um, and mm. just basically put it on a more professional footing and sort of let's have a really good proper go at it and and see where it gets us um so when it was on when it was on ebay hmm. um i presume with your your first your first uh batch that you you went out and you bought and you came back from that point on were you making deliberate decisions in how you price things and how you advertised it or was it oh well let's let's see what let's see what works you know was it a case of let's see what works or or was it very much a well we've seen how other people do it so we'll do it similar and then after a while went well actually this is going well maybe if we change things up Um, how how did that develop i think to start with it was a case of right let's just go have a have a wander around wholesaler and you do to an extent become a kid in a sweet shop um (laughs) and you think i want everything um, but we sort of, I think we picked up an assortment across the board of various things, which included some trucks, some buses, cars, all sorts. Um, mm. And it was a fairly, for the first uh, six months maybe, it was a fairly steep learning experience in that you think, right, okay, we can sell these. These do not sell as well. Um, that that mirrors very closely um, the conversation I had with Graham Easton mm. at Great Escapes. Yeah. You go out and you think, I mean, fortunately yours wasn't quite as expensive as his, no. his decisions, <laughs> but, uh, but still, you know, in the, in the, in the, uh, in the idea of the business, you are going, right, well, these will of course sell yeah. and, and it must, it, it has to be hard to get to the point where you're able to take yourself out of it. Yes. Instead of going, oh, well, I like these, so other people must like them. That's, that's the danger, yeah. Getting to that level. Yeah, the danger is sort of me seeing something and thinking, oh, that's fantastic. I really like them. Let's buy 100 of them. Um, and then six months later, you think, hmm, still got 99 of them. Um, yeah, it, it was a case of, right, we, we sort of learned what we could sell um, and developed it from that. Um, and as I say, we used to do buses, we used to do trucks, that sort of thing. And we always struggled with that. And to be fair, we still do. We don't really do that side of the market because that's very well catered for. Um and it's not something we do. We try to specialise. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and yeah, it was a case of looking at, to start with, we would look at what other people were selling things at, um, and we'd sometimes try and undercut them, but it doesn't always work that way. Um, now, we will buy something in and we think, no, we're confident enough that we know what we think we can get for it. I'm not really interested in what other people are selling it at. Um yeah, you're not you're not in that race to the bottom. No, um, what, it's very easy what, to it, do. what it seems to me is that people are paying for not only they're paying for that uh, particular model mm. um, and the fact that you have it yeah. where other people won't, which is something we'll come on to. But it's also the the whole experience of the thing and the um, the ease in which I mean, as I was saying before about your website, the ease in which it is to give you money to receive the thing I want. Yes. Um, and I think people are learning now because we've, I, th- I think we've had quite a few years of wild west in online retail yes. where people now are beginning to realize, well, actually I do need to pay a little bit more yeah. in which to receive something of any value stroke quality Yes. <laughs> rather than just expecting everything for 99p or whatever and going, well, why haven't I got this wonderful red carpet service? Well, <laughs> because you don't pay for it. So. Well, no, I mean, we've sort of tried to educate people that, um, you know, we, we provide a very high level of service. I'm not ever going to pretend we're the cheapest. We might be on some things, but that's not our business model. Our business model is to provide a very, very high level of service and to sort of satisfy our customers. If you buy something from us, we will get it out next, generally next day to you. Um, most things will ship same day. Um, we use um, next day post in most cases so that people are getting the item quickly. I'm of the opinion that if you buy something on the internet, you don't want to wait two weeks for it to arrive. Um, well, I think Amazon has, has changed that for everybody, and, and I will come on to the giant uh, yeah. elephant in the in the, <laughs> yes. in the internet. <laughs> uh, but I think Amazon has changed that perception for everyone. Yes. Um, that, you know, people, people uh, with, I mean, if we talk about their prime model, you pay extra to get things the next day. Mm. Now people are understanding that you do that. You, you, if you pay extra, you can get stuff quicker. Yeah. But you have to pay for it. That's it, it. Nothing, this stuff is not free. And that's something that, um, I mean, I mentioned before there, but I think that's something that everybody really needs to appreciate is, you can't get stuff for nothing. No, I mean, at the end of the day... We, we, have, we have got educated in perceiving that we get a lot of things for very little, but you're not actually getting quality. You're not getting good service. These things all cost money. Yeah, I mean, we use, we use Royal Mail for postage because generally Royal Mail for small items are better. We get hundreds of um, assorted couriers and brokers all coming on telling us we can save you this much, but it's generally a, the cost of service. Um, yeah. It's either that, you know, it's... It takes three or four days, or it's um, you're not at home, so it's delivered to a distribution centre that's 30 miles away from home. And from a customer service point of view, I don't think that's good enough. Um, mm-hmm. You know, well, you only have to go on social media to see someone yes. saying something about a particular courier. You know, throw throw a throw a, t- a Twitter stream in the air, and you'll hit one of the oh, couriers yeah. being <laughs> abused for poor yeah. service. But much of it is justified, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, the courier industry has become like so many others that it's a race to the bottom to who can do it cheapest. Mm. Um, and ultimately, it has to be unsustainable one way or the other. Um, and at some point, people will have to accept that you can't have free delivery on everything. Um, yeah. It's something we can do sometimes, but as a rule, no. We, we say, look, delivery has a cost, um, and we do have to recharge that. It's got to be charged somewhere. Um, so we'd rather be upfront and say, look, this is what it's costing. Mm. 
Right. So you you over time you develop your your pricing business strategy and how you want to uh, be known mm-hmm. and how you want to act as a business. How 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 long do you think you took to get to that point where you felt right? No, this is I'm very comfortable with how the business is from a, um, from our point of view, as in how how we act and how we do things. I think once we decided that this is what we do, sort of full-time um we're not doing anything else um we took the view that you know we are we're a relatively small business but um we want to offer service as though we were um a giant if you will and we want to we want to say look we are lobster die cast um and basically you can trust us um we provide a high level service um what you see is what you get um, we're upfront about anything. We're honest. Um, if you want to give us a ring and talk to us, you're more than welcome. We're quite happy to talk models, quite happy to talk cars to anybody, really. Um, you know, a few people that ring up about them just sort of chat. Um, and yeah, we, we sort of thought we know, we're, we're confident in the brand. We're confident in what we do. Um, we, we like to treat people properly. Um, and I think it's important to be, to be fair with your customers and to be right with your customers. Um, occasionally, if somebody has a problem, you know, we resolve it. Um, mm. And I think that's how you've got to be. Yeah. It sounds like you, you're you treating people how you'd like to be treated yourself. Basically, yes. I think, I mean, an awful lot of brands sort of come out with that sort of thing. We've actually tried to do it. Um, mm. That, yeah, it's you want, if you're buying something online, regardless of whether it's a model car or whatever, um, you want it to arrive quickly. You want to know that if there is an issue, there is somebody there you can ring up and say, look, I've got a problem. And they resolve it for you. Um, I, I don't think it's rocket science, but it's it's something that doesn't seem to happen in an awful lot of cases. We we try and do it. Right. I want to take a, a step to the side now. Yes. And talk about your car history. Yes. And then I want to come back and uh, dive deeper into um, bestsellers, surprises, and that sort of thing from from your uh, from your store. Okay, okay. Uh, but let's let's start with when did you learn to pass your test and what was the first car you drove afterwards? Um, I passed my test when I was ooh, about seventeen and three months um, in an, a beige Austin Metro City X. Um, wow! Yes, um, baptism of fire. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah. Um, and I think that was the first and last time. Well, no, not the first, but that was the last time in my life thus far I have driven a Metro. Um, and I know a lot, of, a lot of people like them, but no, not again. <laughs> um, before that, I started sort of having a go in a car. Um, well, I suppose properly. I mean, an awful lot of enthusiasts um, have the sort of experience of sitting on the dad's knee, driving the car into the garage or whatever. And that's perhaps what got me started in the first place. But um, when I was about 15, I guess, um Dad would take me on um, the car park at Asda and have a drive around. This is in the days before supermarkets were open on Sundays, um, which, you know, some people think they weren't open Sundays. Good heavens. Um, I know. Pubs didn't used to be open past 11 o'clock at night and everything. Yes, back in the olden <laughs> the days. The world was black and white then. It was, yeah. you know, there was no colour. There was no <laughs> I think that's what my kids genuinely think. Um, yeah, we had to dodge the dinosaurs in yeah. those days. <laughs> So yeah, we did sort of dr- bit a bit of driving around Bazaar's car park on a Sunday. Um, but I passed my test when I was seventeen, three months, and after that, basically, I think my mum lost use of her car for the next six months until I bought my until I got my own. <laughs> 
So what was her car? Her car was um, a Volkswagen Polo, the bread van. Oh, okay. Um, and that was fantastic. I must have done quite a lot of mileage in that in six months. Because, um, yeah, it never seemed to stop. Um, and it was remarkably fast for a one-litre Polo. Um, I was I was lucky enough. I got a, a 1.3 coupe huh? when I passed. Mm, very nice. Jealous. Yes, it, that, did, that did an awful lot of miles. That poor, poor car. Yeah. It put up with so much abuse. But then I think when I was 18, I then got my first car that was mine, which was a Mark 1 Renault 5 Le Car 2 in red. Oh. oh. And I loved that. I deeply, deeply loved that. Um, to the point that I actually keep sort of looking on eBay and thinking, mm, maybe one day, maybe again. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see. Um, yeah. And then from that point, I went through sort of, I mean, I kept that one for about 10 years, something like that, but there were an awful lot of other cars alongside, and you may spot a theme. Um, there were okay, quite let's a, see if we can. Yeah, there were quite a few other Renault 5s at the same point. Um, there was a couple of Renault 11s, um, Clio's, um, Mark 1 Twingo. Um, there are certain people, um, if they're listening to this uh, in our corner of the internet, that are now going to have to have a lie down and are possibly shaking fists <laughs> <in> jealousy. <laughs> run, well, I'll actually run through this list. Um for the Twingo, after I had the Twingo, I think I got a job with the company car, um, and I had a Polo 16 Valve, which was the precursor to the GTI, which, again, was fantastic. Um, I then had, um, oh, what did I have, Mondeo V6, which I blew the engine on, um, and that's a difficult thing to sell to your manager. Um <laughs> did, did, did you get away with that by any chance? I did, because they claimed it a warranty. Um, oh, okay. it was, right, I, what I didn't mention to him, and you know, it's a 15 years since now, so I can get away with this now, is mentioning the fact that I've been on a training course in the Nottinghamshire area, um, and I had had a day which I hated, and spent the day listening to sort of um, what's the term? It was a very sort of Americanized training course, buzzwords, and all this sort of thing. Um, oh, okay. And yeah. to be honest, I don't tolerate that sort of thing very well. Um, and I pretty much come out of there... About you tried to say you're a straight-talking northern person by any chance. I suppose that could be the case. Um, I came out of there at um, about five o'clock, and I was nine-tenths on my way to Furious. Um, it's about two hours home, and it was a Mondeo V6, and it was very fast, and I drove it perhaps a little harder than I should. Um, about five miles from home... It brought a warning light on the dashboard and the engine started knocking. Oh. It was raining, it was fairly late, and I thought, well, I'm not stopping. Um, so carried on home, came out to it the following morning, and the engine seized. Um, which at least got me a day off work while I waited for it to be recovered. Um, well, at least you made it home, otherwise that would have just been the perfect ending. Well, yeah, that, that's why day. I made it home, because I'm not stopping. <laughs> Um, which is better than I've done recently with the car, but we'll come back to that. Um, After the Mondeo, I had numerous Mark 1 focuses, uh, which I really like Mark 1 focuses. Um, Then (sighs) Mazda 6s, and then the latterly with company cars. um, Well, you know, talk about the Mazda 6. I think that's a very underrated car. I really like the Mazda 6. Um, Yeah, I nearly bought another one a couple of months ago, but no, in the end. Um... I loved it. It was a two-litre petrol. Um, so a little bit thirsty, but I had a fuel allowance, so it didn't really matter. 
Mm. Um, and it was comfy. It was quick. And I just think they're a nice looking car. Yeah, um, yeah they are. I think they're a, they're a nice alternative to that in, in that uh, sector. Mm. But I think they're interesting enough. But people, yes. for some reason, haven't bought them in the droves that I, I feel they should have done. No, because to me, they're a much better car than, yes, yeah, say a Mondeo or something like that, despite I think they do share some Mondeo bits. But it, mm. they're, I just, I really like them. I mean, I like most of the Mazda range, if I'm honest. Um, yeah. I'd have liked to have been able to justify buying myself another one um, recently, but I couldn't in the end. Um, so, yeah, I had the Mazda 6. I think that was pretty much the last company car I had. Um, and then I bought um, a Seat Toledo, which was the 1.8 turbo sport 20 valve thing um and i loved that that was fantastic um 180 brake horsepower so it essentially was the leon cupra with a boot um <laughs> but it, it just looked like an ordinary sort of run-of-the-mill saloon um yeah and i'm a bit of a fan of saloon cars i like the sort of discreetness um and that they don't sort of scream fast car at you um yeah. I had that um, about, I think I kept that for about eight years, about 100,000 miles. Um, replaced that with um, my excursion into MPV ownership, which was a Mazda 5, which, to be fair, was a fantastic car as well. Um, reliable, bit thirsty, but, um, yeah. And then just over 12 months ago, I think I must have been having some sort of uh, midlife crisis, early onset thing, and... It really was. Um, and despite having this Mazda, which, you know, was fantastic, nice, looked nice, drove nice, worked for the family, um, worked for the business in that I can get a lot of stuff in the back of it. I was driving past a, it was another Mazda dealer, actually, and they had a Skoda Fabia VRS estate. And I, I thought for a while, that's a nice looking car. So without sort of consulting my wife or anything like that, I went in and bought it. Um, and then realised what I'd done, came home and had to explain that, you know the Mazda that's a really nice car? I sort of sold it and bought this Fabio. And she was very good about it, to be fair. Very understanding. Um, when, when she visited you in hospital. Yeah, yeah. after all the kitchen <laughs> knives had been successfully hidden um, and I'd picked myself up off the floor and found all my teeth. Um, she was very understanding. Um, and... You know, you do them things sometimes. I think most enthusiasts have been in the same position that at some time you just think, what was I doing? Why did nobody stop me? Um, and as much as the Fabia is very, very quick and it's quite comfy and it's very, very quick, no, why did I do that? Um, I, they only do them as automatics and it was only after buying it that I realised I don't really get on with automatics. Um okay. Big automatics, I was driving um, a 5 Series diesel automatic the other week, and that was fantastic. But I think this car, being sort of a GTI type thing, just for me, doesn't work as an automatic at all. It would be mm -hmm. so much better if it was manual. Um, it would also be so much better if it was reliable. Oh, that's a surprise. Uh, yeah, well, I thought so, and then I sort of did a bit of browsing on the internet. Um, I had, um, without sort of moaning about horrible Skodas too much, um, this was about three months ago, no, two months ago, I was on my way home one evening, and my three-and-a-half-year-old 30,000-mile car decided that it didn't like its engine anymore. Um, oh. Burnt a valve out, damaged piston, um, 
and yeah, it was ruined. Oh, no. Mm. Um, and my local Skoda dealer said to me, right, well, yeah, we'll get you a goodwill contribution on that. Don't worry, that's fine. I said, oh, brilliant, yeah, okay. He said, um, you're probably looking at a contribution from Skoda of about 30% of the cost of a new engine. And um, how much is a new engine? Three years, 30,000 miles. Yes, yes. Wow. <laughs> yes. And I said to him, how much is a new engine? He said, well, you'll be looking about £6,000. And you'll give me 30% of that? He said, if you're lucky, 20 to 30%. And I thought, that doesn't sound like a particularly good deal um, on a three and a bit year old 30,000 mile car. Um, so in the end, they, a local specialist repaired it um, for two and a half thousand pounds, which is still two and a half thousand pounds more than you should have to spend on a three and a half year old car. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I recently in the new show we did a we did a review on a Kia, and I remarked in that and said, you know, that they've they've got their seven year warranty, and I'm still surprised that other manufacturers don't offer that as well. Yes, and I and I have to say I am considering how how much quality and reliability has improved in you know in our lifetime of cars. You know, from when we, you know, yeah. we, you and me looked at cars when we were younger in the eighties and stuff like that. There was always people under bonnets, yes, and fettling, and that is so much less nowadays. It's so rare to see that. Yeah, I mean, um, most stuff. I guess most ten-year-old cars now, you don't need to do anything. Um, no, generally, you know, service them once a year, fix them little bits, but you're not going to need to touch them that much um, week to week, month to month. So, so it does. It does. Uh, I put the call out to all manufacturers that you should be offering seven years, five years as a minimum. I think that should be a minimum. Yeah, I mean, I don't see why most couldn't do that now. Um, in general... Either you're confident in your stuff or you're not. Yes. Um, in general, most cars, um, on the whole, are fairly reliable now, new cars. Um, why they couldn't offer a five-year warranty. And I suspect it's a combination of money and marketing. Yeah, probably. <laughs> You know, make sure that somebody buys the next model and all. Yes, yeah. Oh, it's out of warranty. It's three years old, it's out of warranty. You better buy a new one. Um, yeah. And I guess that does work to a certain certain percentage of the public. Yeah. So, have you still got this car, or has it um, after being fixed? Has it been put up for sale? Has it been sold? It is currently sat outside, um, awaiting. And all tree branches <laughs> have been removed from the <laughs> yeah. postcode and things like that. In case, yeah. you, in case you have a basil it, it, it is currently moment. outside awaiting disposal. I got it back. I got it back about two weeks ago. And for the first three or four days, I just let it sit on the drive. And it was just a case of, right, sit there, think about what you've done. Um, mm. Because I just, no, I don't want to see it. Um, and I, I thought once I got it back, despite the fact I've just had to spend £2,500 on it, I've lost faith in it completely. Um, mm. In the wild- Well, it just sounds like that whole... that the. The whole experience of not just the the engine going, which you know sometimes things happen. Well, yeah, that's it. You know, things do. Fail, you, and you, know. you 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 know you 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 understand that, but it's just the the whole reaction from everybody involved in that after yeah. just sounds like it's it's such a dreadful time that you know here's a chance for people to to help out someone in need. And, you know, and this is the, this is the point. You know, when we were talking about customer service mm. before. This is the point. Here is someone who is clearly distressed because something has gone very wrong with their thing, and you have the opportunity to make them feel better or minimise the pain as much as possible. And the way you've acted 
from what you've told us, they've not really helped. All you've done is is made the situation worse because it's a, a, a laughable offer. Yeah, frankly. Yeah, I mean, I was, and, th- and that may be company policy, but it's it, you know whoever makes that decision in the company, that's a laughable. No, I mean, that, I, 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 that someone probably won't go back to that brand. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I spoke to at length people from Skoda who said to me, you know, you need to get it into a dealer. And I said, well, that's fine. I understand that. But the dealer tells me I've got to authorise them to do the full repair before they look at it. And I'm not about to authorise a six grand repair without knowing that I'm going to be getting the vast majority of it back. Um, mm. And the sad thing is that I was, apart from it being automatic, I was happy with the car. Um, mm. I was getting to the point where I was thinking that this year I may replace it, and I was looking at um, I was looking at another Skoda, um, but um, I'm not now. Um, <laughs> I, I was sort of seriously thinking that Octavia VRS or um, I, was, I did quite like Superb Wagon, mm. but yeah, it's not it's not going to happen now. Yeah. I've actually gone out and ordered and. This is sort of the polar opposite of the Octavia VRS. Um, I've gone out and ordered something very, very sensible. I'm really pleased with it, but a very, very sensible car. Um, I ordered a couple of weeks ago a Dacia Logan, um, the estate. Um, We sort of had one of those days where you go around looking at lots and lots of different cars, see what you fancy and sit in lots of different things and all that sort of thing. And we went into the Renault dealer, um, partly because I have a friend who has a duster and loves it. Um... And I had to sit in a duster, and they had the Logan sat opposite. And I looked at it and thought, that's actually quite a nice-looking car to me, um, although I'm a bit perverse like that. Um, <laughs> and sort of sat in it, had a play with it, made the vroom-vroom broom noise, broom noises and all that sort of thing, and thought, this is incredible value for money. It's brand new. It's warranted. I think you can, although you have to pay extra, you can have it as a seven-year warranty for an extra 850 quid, I think. Um, and it was one of those things you thought, I've had too much trouble with cars recently. I want something that is just going to do its job and work. And I mm. hope when it arrives in July, that is going to be it. Um, it's not exciting, but I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite excited by it. It's I like sort of relatively basic cars, um, mm. despite the fact it's got Bluetooth and sat-navs and all this sort of thing. Um, everything does these days. Yeah, everything, everything's got digital yeah, radio that, is that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it is, yeah. Um, but it's just it just does its job. It's not pretentious. It's not pretending to be something it isn't. Um, and, yeah, I think that's that should be a pretty good thing. Yeah, well, so, uh, good luck with that. I hope that, hope it does work out for you. Hopefully, yeah. I've just scored um, to sell now, so, you know. <laughs> if anybody out there would like to buy a Skoda, it's had a recently repaired expensive engine, you know, you know where we are. It, it has been well looked after, maybe not loved, but it's been looked after. <laughs> yeah, it's been more washed and polished and serviced and all that. Yeah, I wouldn't say loved, but... <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's... Not an emotional sense. No, <laughs> that, that's something I need to do in the next month or two is, um, is get that sold. But, yeah, we've, we're on with that anyway, so... Okay, excellent. Well, well that is... Um, you've got some cracking cars in your history there. That is, that is There are some... Pretty nice ones there. Like I said earlier, I think there's certain people uh, will be shaking fists and going green eyes with jealousy <laughs> at, at the, some of the cars you've had. Right, I want to get back to uh, Lobster Diecast. And um, sort of, okay, we, we touched on before that you've had to, in developing what you're offering, you've had to step away from, well, I like it, so someone else will like it. So you, mm-hmm. you've you've worked through and established what people will buy. I mean, just to give people an idea who've never been on your site, and there will be a link in the show notes to your site, um, what's the sort of range of cars 
models that you that you cover? Um, all sorts. Um, we we. I mean, it's not a hard and fast rule, but we generally stick to road cars. Um, the vast majority of it is post-war. We do a few pre-war cars, but um, it very much depends on... We try and stick to, to a certain extent at least, to what we know. Um, and we do have a few pre-war cars, but I don't know enough about them, um, if I'm honest, in terms of what is likely to be popular. Um, so there are some of the... There's some of the pre-war French cars that um, we've had that sell very well. Um, the Voisin, that sort of thing, that to me means not a great deal. I don't know a, a lot about that sort of car. Um, so we tend to stick to to sort of post-war road cars. Um, mm-hmm. And we will cover everything. Um, but it's more, um, and I don't want to sound like we are very limited, but we tend to stick to the sort of, the stuff that's more popular and is more familiar to people, um, we will sell an awful lot more, say, of a VW Golf than we will of a LaFerrari. Um, okay. And uh, as I say, a lot of people think that uh, model cars and people who are collecting model cars are all buying Ferraris, Porsches, Lamborghinis. And they're not. We sell an awful lot more of the run-of-the-mill stuff. We get an awful lot of people who are saying, um, I had I used to own one of these. I'd really like a model of it. Do you know anybody? Or do you do you have one or anything like that? Um, mm. So yeah, we try to stick to sort of almost what we know. We we obviously speak to. We have a network of um, UK and European suppliers, um, and it's very much a case we sort of choose what do we want to stock, what do we like, what do we think we can sell. But yeah, it's it's got to be a case of. Not me looking at it and thinking, "Oh, that's fantastic! I really like that." Um, let's have loads it'd of just them. Be full of Renault fives. It would, yeah, basically, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The place would be Renault fives and Renault four vans, and that's all we'd sell. Um, and perhaps we might just stamp a few Skodas to death. But um, we actually sell an awful lot of Skodas. Um, I think, um, or so I was told a couple of weeks ago, we sell more Skoda models in the UK than anybody else, um, which is nice. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's a, it's sometimes a case of what do we think we'll sell. I mean, and it's very easy to get it wrong. There's sometimes we've looked at things and thought, oh yeah, that'll really sell really well, and you sort of order quite a lot, and then two years later on, didn't sell many of them, have we? <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it, it's partly down to sort of experience of what we have sold before in terms of what we stock. Um, it's it, it, but you do have to have that separation. Um, yeah. It, it sort of so what's your, what's your most po- popular? I mean, you've said the Skoda, you sell more Skodas than everybody else. But what is your most popular uh, mark, um, do you think? Ooh, crikey. Um, it very much depends on what's available. Um, a lot of these things are either limited edition or are only available for so long. Um, okay. Something like um, a Ford XR or an RS, we will always sell a lot of. Um, mm. We we do a lot of Skoda, we do a lot of Renault, we do a lot of Volkswagen, um, but um, we try and be a fairly broad church in that we stock an awful lot. I would like to get to a point where virtually every sort of mark is represented. Um, there are some there are some things where if we could get them, I know we could sell a lot of, but we just can't get them. Um, I mean, the most popular thing we've sold over the last couple of weeks is a Deo Nexia. Um, and we've sold huge numbers of that, surprisingly. Um, and it's sometimes the obscure things. 
um, that nobody else picks up on that we can sell a lot of. There are not many retailers who would think, hmm, we could sell a lot of Deus. Um, yes. And the same. But for, we, we seem to have that market um, and we seem to have that customer base that quite likes that sort of thing. Um, mm. Or certainly enough of a customer base that likes that sort of thing. Is there is there a particular scale that sells more than others? Because I, you know, just having been on your site, I see that you go from, you know, one to ten up to well, the to uh, one to eighty seven. Yes, sort of the, all the 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 points in between. Do you, do you have a particular or, or is a particular size a favourite of people? Um, it depends on the person. To be honest, I mean, we find the collectors will tend to go most popularly for the one eighteen, the bigger stuff. Um, okay. Or, I mean, the biggest market is probably the 143rd, uh, which is your sort of 10 centimetres roughly. Um, that's the sort of bulk of the market. Um, and I guess the 143rd stuff is detailed enough that um, you can see it all, um, but they're easy for people to collect and to store in reasonable quantities. If somebody mm. wants to get into collecting 118 scale models, um, they're obviously that bigger that bit bigger um and if you want to sort of collect 40 50 or 100 of them which people do it takes up a lot of room yes, um you need a room dedicated yes <laughs> and then uh, the stuff like the 187 stuff um exists well not exists but we sell an awful lot of that sort of thing to various professional model makers where they're doing architectural models um that's, oh, yeah. that sort of thing of yeah, yeah. um and slightly bigger than that we do an awful lot of the 176 stuff which is model railway scale um, ah, okay. Not necessarily to people who are building model railways, but they are cheap enough that they can buy. We do, I mean, when we do the car shows, we sell an awful lot of, particularly the VW stuff, because people want a model of their, their car, or near enough to their car, that they can just sit on the dashboard. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's it's difficult to say. I mean, it's difficult to say that at any one time this is popular, because it's, it's a very, very fast-changing thing. Um, do you th- do you find uh, certain models sell seasonally? Do you think? Is that, have you, um, do you do you delve into that detail? Sorry, it's a bit of a, a quite nerdy thing to ask, but I'm just curious. we certainly have an uplift at Christmas, as you would expect in the sort of two three months run up to Christmas. Um, mm-hmm. And what we will tend to find then is yes, it's perhaps more of the performance car type stuff which will sell at Christmas. Um, okay. You do notice there is a shift um, in. How can I put this without it sounding wrong? We get more female customers then who are buying Porsches, Ferraris, that sort of thing, which presumably they are buying as presents. Um, and I don't want that to sound um, sexist because most of our, our female customers know exactly what they want. Um, and But a lot of they are buying it more as gifts. A lot of the time we are, um, it's people buying for themselves, which tends yeah. to be because of the nature of the bit market and um, is a male-dominated thing. Um, and that sort of collector will know that they want um, a model of a TVR Tasmin 280 coupe and it has to be blue Um, unfortunately we've got one of them Um, (laughs) um, whereas yeah seasonally you do tend to find it becomes a little bit more general um, and we can sell the Porsches, the Ferraris that sort of thing, that bit easier but again it depends on availability um, and what we've got um so yes and no to be honest okay now um obviously you've got this lovely website but you you are at shows as well aren't you? we do yes uh, do you shift a lot at those shows we do um okay. well i mean you must 
it must be worthwhile for you to go. But I'm yeah, just I mean, we treat each sort of aspect of the business, which is to say the website, um, the eBay store, which we still have after ten years, um, and the outdoor, well, the, the car shows, as a separate profit center, if you will. So basically, okay. if the show, the shows have to, in sort of blunt terms, pay the way. We're not doing yeah. it um, just for the fun of doing it. I enjoy doing it. Because I would imagine that takes an awful lot of effort. Yes. There must be a lot of planning beforehand because you must be, um, well, having talked to you, and I'm I'm making some presumptions, so just straighten me out if I get these wrong, but I'm presuming you are looking at whatever particular show you're going to, Mm. and you're going, right, this is the audience of that show. Therefore, I will make, I will cater what we bring accordingly. Yes. Um, so there's be planning. There'll be then the loading. There'll be the going. Yes. <laughs> and, and and setting up and all that sort of stuff. And then being there all day. Uh, you know, this isn't a this isn't a quick operation. No, it's not. No. Um, I mean, the shows the shows work sort of twofold for us. A, yes, we're there to sell stuff. We're also there um, basically to get the brand out to people. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's. We do try and cater uh, what we're taking to each show. We physically cannot take everything we have. We'd need a fleet of seven and a half ton trucks. Um, <laughs> so we go into a show and we think, right, okay, this weekend we've got a Volkswagen show. Um, so we are taking primarily um, VW stuff. But we do take, we'll also take, say, we'll take some Ford stuff. We'll take um, a handful of others as well. Um Basically, to give us a bit of a range, um, you can't go just with the Volkswagen stuff. Um, it's almost a little bit too obvious. So we take everything because most people have owned other cars as well. Um, so yeah. you might find somebody who has a, um, a T4 camper now used to own, um, I don't know, a Triumph Stag or um, they've owned something else at some point and they see a model of it mm-hmm. and think, oh, yeah, that's just like my old one. I'll have that. Um we also do for the shows, which we don't particularly do online, um, the Hot Wheels cars. Um, we do a lot of um, uh, metal signs, um, mugs, that sort of thing as well. Um, mm. Basically, because it's it's just additional purchases. Um, we think, you know, if somebody's interested in cars, they might be interested in a model car. They might like a sign for the garage that says Volkswagen service or Ford service or whatever. Um, mm. So, yeah, you do try and sort of tailor it um, to um, the shows. But we do about 10 to 12 shows a year, something like that, um, on a fairly fixed um, sort of pattern of we know more or less the shows we'll do well at, we know what we want to do. We're always happy to try different ones. Um, and we do now get offered quite a lot of shows that would you like to come to an exhibit at this? Um, mm. And if it's viable and we can, um, we will. I mean, for the first weekend of June, I think we were asked if we wanted to do about five different shows, um, which is which is nice. It's like, it's nice to be, to be noticed and for, to be asked. Um, but we've got to sort of basically is this going to make enough is it going to wash its face Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah I mean I think for this year we are with four or five VW shows we have a couple of classic car shows with um, a British Leyland show um, and then we have the classic motor show at the end of the year in November okay but, okay, well, the, I know on your website it does have a, a list of where you'll physically be. So we do, um, yes. Again, if you if listeners want to uh, find out and see if they're going to a show that you're at and pop by your store, then um, the link will be in the show notes. So Thank you. I mean, do, one of the, do check that out. One of the nicest things about the show is that we actually do get to meet, meet people. Because we are primarily an online retailer, um, 
it's nice to actually get out and sort of see a few familiar faces. Um, mm. And the number of people who come up to us um, and say, oh, I've bought things off you on eBay. I've used your website. Oh, it's, I'm so-and-so. I've been buying things off you for two or three years. And we had that a couple of years ago at the NEC. A chap came up to us, um, introduced himself, and he'd been a fairly regular customer for the last four or five years. And oh, right. it, it was it's fantastic to just sort of put faces to names sort of thing. Um, mm. And it, it, that's a really nice sort of aspect of doing shows. The shows are very hard work. Um, you can't get away from the fact that the shows are hard work. We've got, as I say, we've got a show on Sunday um, down in Leicestershire. We have a van to pick up tomorrow um, to load. Um, and then we're down there Saturday and back Monday. Um, and all the, all the meantime, we've still got things selling online and emails to answer. And yeah, it's it's hard work, but it's, it's, part, it's part and parcel of the nature of the business. Mm. Do you uh, still enjoy doing this? I love it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what, what is it? The searching for um, for models? Is it the what's the, what is it? Um, it's it's partly, and I think anybody who um, runs their own business will identify with it. It's partly the freedom of it. Um, it's that I'm not answerable to anybody else, um, and it's the challenge. Um, I really, really enjoy the challenge of sort of being as good as we can to develop this. Um, and I've, I've no desire to become some sort of Amazon competitor. Uh, one or two people have said, oh, carry on like this, you'll be like Amazon. And that's not what we want at all. Um, I think we would lose the personal touch. I enjoy talking to customers. Um, mm. It's nice that we sort of, we have a lot of regular customers um, and I know the sort of thing they are looking for and they will buy it. And it's nice to be able to sort of think, we've got such and such coming in. Um, and you actually you can ring somebody up and say, look, we've got a model of a Triumph Stag coming in, and they're they're delighted to hear it. Um, you, you can actually sort of, in a small way at least, um, really sort of make people happy with it. Um, and it's nice to be able to do that. I enjoy um, sort of yeah, we like finding new products. We like finding interesting new things we can put on the website. Um, ultimately, we're running a business, um, so we like we like that side of it. We enjoy. It's just a, it's a nice business to do. It's not necessarily easy, but it's nice. Well, I mean, interesting. You say there that you're you're not looking to uh, you know the focus is not increasing scale mm. because so much business advice out there, whether it's in books or online or listening to podcasts or uh, on the TV, everyone presumes you want to get bigger. Yes, they do. And everyone presumes you either you want to get bigger and you want someone to come along and buy your business, and that's. That's not always the case. I mean, no. we have it in our own business, which is completely unrelated. Mm. And, you know, it, it is the things you said is, you know, we're unemployable now in a traditional sense yeah. because we've worked for ourselves. And, you know, because you work for yourself, your tolerance on certain things drops dramatically. Yes. Where um, it wasn't exactly overflowing beforehand, perhaps. No. But it's, it's you know, it's zero now because you've gone through it. You've You've dealt with it. Yourself, so you won't put up with that sort of nonsense. So, um, when when you say to people, "No, I'm not. I'm not looking to bring on twenty members of staff." They're like, "What? Why?" And it's like, "No, no, that's not the point. The point is to do an incredibly good job and provide a, a valued service. That's what I want to do." Yeah. Uh, and and it's it's lovely to hear that you say that because that uh, you know I think that comes out in seeing how you uh, interact with people on social media and. Um, from the conversation we've had here and conversations we've had on social media and your website is it, it all seems to be geared to giving people a, 
a quality experience. Yeah, I mean, um, we, we try and do... So they come back, hopefully. Yeah, that, that's basically... I mean, we have a very loyal customer base. Um, and we try and give people a good experience. Um, as I say, we're not looking to become um, the world's biggest or the world's best or whatever. We're looking to provide a very good service. Um Yes, we are sort of gradually expanding, but not to the point that we're about to need a 50,000-square-foot warehouse with 250 staff. Uh, we don't want to get to that point. We like the fact that, for both of us, um, we can be very hands-on. Um, we can get involved in the day-to-day -day stuff. Um, you, we can have a wander-end wholesaler, or we can have a look at um, the new products and say, right, I want these, rather than just being sat in an office looking at spreadsheets. Um, no desire to do that. Um, <laughs> You know, while we are sort of gradually expanding the range we do, it's it's evolution, not revolution sort of thing, to mm -hmm. borrow a catchphrase. Um, <laughs> we're looking um, at some point this year to move. We're currently in an um, old Victorian mill. Um, we're looking for new premises, but it's, it's one of those things that it's not desperate. It's when it suits us, um, and if we can find something that we like and is suitable. Um, but we're not looking to become some giant. Um, we're happy with what we do. Um, we'd like to do a bit more of it as we just sort of gradually expand. There's an awful lot of ranges of models we could sell, um, but um, it's, it'd be very easy to say, right, let's just make a massive jump and double the amount of things we've got, but that's not really what we want to do. I, um, it, it's, I don't want to compromise the quality of what we do um, for the sake of selling 10 times more. Um, obviously, that'd be nice. Um, but we, we offer, we're offering a quality service, um, and I don't want to compromise that. Okay. Um, we've we've mentioned Amazon, the um, mm. elephant in the internet. Yes. Uh, from that tone, I'm guessing you're not over-enamoured. But do you <laughs> think there are... Uh, so, well, okay, we'll, we'll start with the first question. Why are you not over-enamoured with Amazon? Um, I think... There is a very great danger um, that Amazon um, will come or could potentially come to dominate the market um, if people allow it. Um, Amazon, I mean, we've been approached by Amazon um, to sell on there, and we said no, um, partly because I don't particularly like Amazon's terms and conditions to the retailers that they deal with. Um, but partly, I just don't really, I don't want to be part of that. Um, I, we have no objection to selling through marketplaces. We use eBay, um, and we do a lot of business on eBay. Um, eBay are much easier to deal with than Amazon, in my experience. Um, but it's more that I want control of um, – it's our business. It's our brand. I want to be the one controlling that. Um, we want to develop the business through the website, not through um, Amazon, who dictate what we have to sell at, what we have to do, um, I mean, Amazon used to have, I think they've discontinued it now, but Amazon used to have a rule that if you sold on Amazon, you couldn't sell the same product for any less anywhere else. And I don't want to... I know they use, they they have that with books and things mm. like that. Uh, you know, if you're doing uh, via the Kindle, you're not, you, it's got to be, I think yeah. there's one particular brand way they do it, that it's got to be exclusive. And that exclusivity is six months or a year, and then you can sell elsewhere, but you can't undercut them. No. Um, I mean, I, you know, we, we run the business ourselves. I don't want to be essentially working for Amazon. Um, um, yeah. I, I, well, it, it, you know, to put it in another term is for anyone who makes content, um, you know, if it's a, a website or stuff like that, that, and they use Facebook as their main um, channel of 
passing that information on. It's a similar thing because Facebook can now have, right, well, you need to pay us yeah. for, for us to make sure that the people who follow you, that you have encouraged to follow you and you've made the effort, you need to pay us money. Otherwise, they won't see your latest post necessarily. Yeah, we find that. Well, hang on. I'm, I'm having to, you know, I'm the one doing all the work except mm. for the, the, the structure. But now you're charging. And it comes back. I mean, it is in a, it is now in the internet because it's been around that long but it is an old adage you need to control your own message yes at source yeah you know if you decide to then pass some of it out to the other places that's fine but you need to have a central hub that you that you your your voice is coming from yeah absolutely um, um no i mean i'm i'm just not a big fan of amazon it, it does concern me that um and I suppose you've seen it more in part books and DVDs than anything else, is that they do end up squeezing out um, competition. Mm. A lot of the stuff we do, um, for whatever reason, doesn't seem to get on Amazon that much. Amazon, from when we did a lot, spoke to a lot of customers about it a couple of years ago, um, and they don't see Amazon as the sort of place they would buy model cars anyway. Um, and whilst there are people selling model cars on there, it doesn't seem to be a massive marketplace for that um, that type of product. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm. It concerns me that um, Amazon potentially could become um, too dominant. Um, the only shop on the internet. Yes, if we're not careful, yeah, and you need the variety, you need the competition. Um, Amazon's very good in that it sort of, it perhaps forces other retailers um, and other marketplaces to up their game a little bit to compete, but um, it's not something we particularly want to do. Okay. Um, another sort of elephant in the uh, model world mm. is... Most people will have come across models if they've not if they've not gone to shows or not not looked for them particularly. They'll have come across Hot Wheels. Yes. What's your uh, opinion of Hot Wheels? Do you think it's it's a good thing because it uh, brings awareness to people, or do you think um, that perhaps they've uh, not through the way that they do it is more of a cartoony? in a lot of their things, it's more cartoony type stuff that uh, it's, it hampers model cars. Um, I mean, I, I should um, point out, we've got 10 boxes of Hot Wheels due in today. Um, so um, Hot Wheels, um, I mean, we don't sell Hot Wheels online. Hot Wheels we sell purely for the car shows. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, in to a certain extent, it is a shame that some of the stuff is a little bit cartoonified. Um, and it's a shame that Mattel um, promote Hot Wheels now over Matchbox. Matchbox were a much better range up to two or three years ago because they were actual cars. Um, mm. There is still some element of that in the Hot Wheels range. Um, but, um, yeah, some of them, I mean, I'm just trying to think, we've one that's a toaster um, with wheels on it. Um, and well, there's the there's the Star Wars tie-ins. Yes, um, where they go. Oh, look! This is this is C three PO on the top of a uh, VW camper van. You sort of go. There's no connection there apart from you've painted it gold. Yeah, some of it is just a case of right. Let's see how much money we can drag out of people. Um, mm. I mean, they've they've done the Ghostbusters series, which is some. I mean, you do get a couple of Ghostbusters cars, which yeah, fantastic. But yes, some of them are um, a little tenuous um, in the link to the actual series. Um, Do you think it might be a, a gateway? Um, that's pretty much it, yeah. I mean, we find... A gateway into the world. 
Yes, I think for us, there are, for the little Hot Wheels cars, there are two different customers. We have um, the adult collector, who are generally collecting the stuff like the Mark One Escorts that they did. Um, I'm trying to think of some yes, of the other stuff. Anyone who's who's not seen that in action, just look at Twitter now and again, <laughs> yeah. and you'll see a, a a long stream go. Particularly if somebody finds something a bit rare in yeah. the local ASDA or something yes. like that. I mean, there are some really nice models in the Hot Wheels range, um, and so we do. We sort of sell a lot to the adult collector, um, and then the other side of it is. It's a fantastic thing, um, basically for kids. Um, a lot of the car shows we do, um, from our point of view, is brilliant because the kids will come along and parents will buy them a Hot Wheels car or two. Um, and it gets them interested. Um, it is, as you say, it's a gateway. Um, it gets them interested in in cars um, and perhaps to a lesser extent, but it gets them interested in model cars. Um, and all of that, as far as I'm concerned, is a good thing. We want, we want, you know, we need the next generation to be into cars. I don't want them, you know, to be just stuck behind iPads. Give, give all the kids Hot Wheels. Mm. Well, it's, it's not, you know, they're not. It, a lot of what they see, you know, if they do have an iPad, which most kids do these days, or or some tablet device, mm. and they're on YouTube, they're looking. A lot of times, they're looking at these ridiculous cars that go down Regent Street or whatever. Yeah, you know, where there's there's a lot of the papping going. Yeah. Or whatever the kids call it, I don't know. It's technical terms. It's beyond, I'm too old for that. Um, but but they're you know they're not looking uh, necessarily at the uh, in depth reviews of cars. They're looking no. at more the outrageous behaviour end of it. So to give them, I mean, I've done it with all our our children. We've gone right there. You know, here's cars, mm. here's model cars. You play with them, and they've all played with them. Particularly if you remove electronic devices yes. <laughs> they they are playing with them and they like that and they go oh there's this and that and the other and and you know hot wheels taking away some of the more silly tie-in ones mm. there's some great fun things they've done oh yeah where they've you Absolutely. know they've got outrageous jeeps and things like that that but then jeep do it themselves with their you know once a year they do they have a you know ridic- ridiculous uh bunch of uh, models that they take through the mojave desert or whatever mm. and you sort of go well they've made you know, model versions of that, and that's that's great fun. And I and I think it's you know, my question was a little bit leading because it's what I I think is I do think it is a gateway for for kids. Yeah, I mean, because uh, I, th- I I've been to shows where I've seen people sort of flock to the things, and it's, it is the kids, you know the parents walking past. Oh yeah, do you want one of these? Going, I've done it myself. Yeah, Which, you know, is there anything here that you like? Oh yeah, I like that one. Come on, let's get that one then. Um, yeah, it, I mean, we do. It gives we- them. It's a tactile. Uh, yes, you know, they're 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 actually able to physically touch it rather than just watch it. Yeah, it, or it, just play it on a. Yeah, it's better that they spend whatever on a couple of Hot Wheels cars rather than what well, to my mind it is anyway. It's better they spend a couple of pounds on a Hot Wheels car um, rather than just sort of downloading something onto a tablet um, for a couple of quid. It's something physical, um, and I think it's something that they will get um, longer use out of as well. I mean, my kids, as you might expect, have um, a reasonable selection of Hot Wheels cars, um, and some of the stuff they like is. Of sort of the favourite ones they have. Um, some of the stuff is the standard road cars, but there's others that um, I think there's one that's a shark with wheels. Um, mm. But they like that, um, and if it gets them into that sort of thing, and it gets them into um, cars in general, um, then as they get older, hopefully that's something that will continue. Yeah, that's um, not a bad thing. No, I don't think so. Uh, right, excellent. Well, I think we, we've come to the point now where I want to ask you the quick fire questions. Okay. okay. 
And I I have now given up on pretending that I won't interrupt. I'm not just yes. Yeah. So so yeah. I will uh, I will start with the first one and ask you what currently excites you about the motoring world. Um. Well, I think, um, despite the fact we might not realise it or appreciate it, I think we're currently in something of a golden age in terms of um, availability and choice and range and everything of cars generally. There is an awful lot of cars available, new and used, um, out there that um, I think we are in danger of in another 10, 15 years. That's not going to be. And I think we may look back on sort of this as the end of... um, that golden age and there are such a lot of very nice cars out about there um and if you're going out to buy a car now you've got such a massive choice um and i think that's a wonderful thing you know you can buy something that will go ridiculously fast you can buy something that's ridiculously practical um and cars relatively are not expensive relatively obviously um i think i think that's a good thing I think you make a very good point there, actually. Um, that That is a cracking point. Yes, we right now we have the opportunity to buy so many cars from back in the day. Yeah. Let alone now. And the choice is incredibly vast. I mean, I, that, that's part of my problem is I've got so many cars I want to own that are 10, 15, 20 years old yeah. or even longer that I'm not really thinking about the now so much, so often. <laughs> it's a kind of, well, but I, I need to get through those first because I'm a completionist. I yeah. need to get through those first before I can get to these. And then by the time I've got to these, there'll be the next lot that will be now by then. Yeah, that's the problem. I can spend an awful lot of time on eBay Motors or Car and Classic and fictionally spending oh, several million pounds. Yes. yes. But, mm, <laughs> if only. Many an hour. Yeah. Many an hour. <laughs> okay, so then uh, what worries you about the motoring world? I think... The thing that concerns me is probably the advent of the self-driving and autonomous car. Um, You wonder, will we still ever actually drive a car, or is it a case of being driven? Um, And are we... I saw um, a few days ago, there was, um, I think it was on Twitter, um, BMW were testing um, autonomous driving in the UK. Um, and the picture they'd illustrated it with was um, a chap sat behind a steering wheel. Now, to me, the thing I don't perhaps understand or haven't looked at enough is when we're talking about autonomous driving, self-driving, is it going to be a case of the driver is going to have to still basically sit in the driver's seat and monitor everything? In which case, I kind of worry that we're sort of de-skilling people for the job. If you've got to sit there behind the steering wheel in case something needs doing... We already have a problem with people being on the phone. If somebody's sat there with nothing particularly to do because the car's steering and braking, accelerating, changing lanes on its own, if the driver needs to intervene, the driver's probably too deep into Facebook or Angry Birds or whatever um, to actually notice before it's horribly gone horribly wrong. The other side of it is, if we're going to have autonomous cars, I can see, I can very, very much see the sense in them for an awful lot of people. I'm not sure I'd want one, but I might not have the choice. But if you're having a car that's autonomous, I would prefer it to be fully autonomous. I want to be able to sit in the back, eat a sandwich or go to sleep or whatever. I don't really want to be half driving it. You're either doing it or you're not to me. And it it sort of worries me a little bit that it's if something goes wrong with your autonomous car as it's barreling down the M6 at 70 miles an hour restricted, um, then the driver 
or isn't isn't in a position to um, actually take control if they need to. I don't know. No, I agree, and and I think it brings up a, a point that um, some of the you know sometimes it is almost hysteria about autonomous cars, both against and for, is we're not near to having autonomous no. cars. We have cars that have elements that they are taking away from the driver or aiding the driver, mm. but we are not near. I you know fully properly autonomous cars are not going to be here in the next ten years. No, I don't think so. That's not going to happen. Um, at best, we will have sections, in my opinion, this is obviously, it, we will have sections of certain roads that will be autonomous vehicles only, and they will effectively be a shuttle service. Mm. But um, as as has been proven by um, various accidents or near misses and things like that with through through all the companies, is the trickiest... And most difficult point is transferring from autonomous back to human. Yeah. And the point you made there that, you know, if if I have to sit there behind the wheel, ready at any second to take over, because I'm getting a warning saying, look, somebody's just pulled out and this is too much for me to cope with as a car mm. right now because I don't have the computing ability to deal with it, then you uh, you might as well drive. Yeah. Because uh, I would, I would imagine from a stress point of view, <laughs> yeah. If, you, if you're driving, it reduces because you're already there. Yeah. If you've Whereas got to do if all the concentrating, you're poised and, yeah. to leap. <laughs> um, or we get the opposite, where people forget they need to do that, and it's what you said. You know, we, we've seen the, the YouTube videos where people were in the back of Teslas back in the day, yeah. um, eating a pizza, watching a film, rather than doing, you know, understanding what you know autonomy means it's we aren't autonomous and i think perhaps we need to change our language at the moment yes um i think we need to make it very clear these are driver aids right now it's not autonomous yeah uh and, and it is a worry it is a worry but I, I agree with you for many many people i think they lust after the day that it could be autonomous they don't have to drive yes but i suspect we're and quite a long way us, off with that um, and for the rest of us, you know, we could hope they aren't driving. <laughs> the other thing um, on modern future technologies um, is electric cars. And the thing that frustrates me enormously um, is the quest that some of the electric manufacturers have to go not to 60 as fast as possible. And I do oh, not staffed. get it's this pointless. at all. Electric cars... I. I'd, I'd really like a going one. I really, really would. I, I looked at a Renault Zoe um, a year or so back, and I would really, really like a going one. I couldn't make the numbers add up on it, but I would really like a going a Renault Zoe um, or anything electric, really, just to sort of – I like driving things. Um, mm. But I don't understand why we need to prove that electric cars can do 0 to 60 in two and a half seconds. Surely we, what we need to do with electric cars is develop something that has a range of, say, 400 miles but is also reasonably affordable. Um, yeah. I, I guess if a manufacturer can make that breakthrough and make something like a Zoe or something a touch bigger that is a standard family car with a, a, a full electric range of 400 miles, then I would guess they've probably basically won um, if it can be done affordably. Yeah. Well, the way that an electric motor works, they should go to 0 to 60 quicker than a conventional car. Well, yeah. If, they, if they've got enough battery power and it's geared correctly because... You know, there's, it's not a case of gears and things like that. No. It's just open the taps and go. Yeah, it, it, it just frustrates me that there's so much emphasis on um, making it go 
not to 60 as quickly as possible. Oh, look how quick we yeah. are. Oh, yeah. Who cares? Yeah, it, battery range. It makes it makes no difference. That, that does not help me in the real world. No. As you said, I want the battery range, please, because you can't do both. You can't have stupidly quick and have a big range at the moment. You you can go stupidly quick and now mm. I, you have decimated your range. Or you can, you've got a range and you can drive remotely sensibly and normally. Yes, yeah, and I think if, but, uh, if, if something... I, I think it's just a headline-grabbing PR stunt thing. Well, yeah, it is, yes. You're quite right. <laughs> so, Right, next question. Uh, what has been your favourite car to drive, and why was that? Um, ooh, crikey. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I can get this down to one. I'm not sure I can get it okay. into two, in all honesty. I think, it slightly dep- <laughs> I think it slightly depends on the circumstance. Um, so I will... Um, I think it's a where and when as well. Um, I last September we drove um, Great Escape C Type, um, mm-hmm. and prior to that, I have never ever bought into E Types at all. I you hear all this, oh, it's the most beautiful car ever, and oh, it's fantastic, and all this, and I've never really gone for that. Um, oh, you heretic! Well, I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'd never really gone for sort of all that, and um, I think it's partly that um, they're slightly before my timer E-types, um, and you sort of get all this stuff forced down your throat by the classic car, glossy magazines that are oh, E-types, beautiful, etc. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, uh, we drove um, Great, Escape, Great Escape's E-type, and prior to driving that, I'd got, been in a Mark II Jag, and the Mark II Jag felt, as nice as it was, it felt its age to me. Um, it felt like it needed a, a lot more effort. And I expected the E-Type to drive like that. Um, and it didn't. It drove. It was relatively easy. It was quick. And the, it, there was that sense of occasion to it. Um, and it mm. sort of, yeah, I was I was a little bit blown away with that. I could quite happily have an E-Type if I win the lottery, um, which okay. is unlikely. Um, but then other things that were memorable... Um, 18 months ago, coming back from France in our Renault 4 van. Um, French farmers are on strike. All the motorways are closed because they've got tractors on them. Um, and we were going to be late for the ferry. So cross-country run um, and knowing that you're quite up against it, that you might well not get on the one ferry of the day. Um, and that was a fantastic drive, just sort of down the French route national, national, whatever. Um, and just sort of trying to wring every ounce of speed and performance out of an 1145 brake horsepower engine um, <laughs> was it, it was actually a huge amount of fun um, and you think yeah that was that's it, that was a very memorable very memorable drive and I really enjoyed doing it um, in a, did you make it yes just I think we're on there 10 minutes um, before it sailed um, but yeah I think it, it's partly that the right car on the right road on the right day, you can pretty much enjoy anything. Um, and I mean, I've driven seven and a half ton trucks and thought, this is actually a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> not sure I'd want to do it all day, but um, yeah, I think it's, yeah, I suppose if somebody gives you a Ferrari F40 um, and all you're doing is you're going to nip down to Tesco, then you're going to get stuck, stuck in traffic. You're not going to think it's very much fun. Um, but if somebody gives me a Ferrari F40 and says, do you mind just running that down to the south of France? I'd probably quite enjoy that mm. in the unlikely event. Okay. Right, so uh, what has been your least favourite car to drive and why was that? Um, again, I'm going to give you two. 
um, okay. I, I will start with um, back when I was 18, as I say, I worked for um, a dealer that had an FSO franchise, and I had the utter displeasure of driving the then brand new FSO Caro, which was the updated version of the early 80s Polonaise. And even by the standards of the time, it was hopeless. Um, it squeaked, it rattled, it was desperately slow. It just felt like the doors were going to burst open and in a sort of clown car effect and everything was going to fall off it. It was, yeah, I think, as I say, the dealership I worked at sold one in the space of several months and fortunately went bust to put themselves out of the misery. Um, but yeah, it was just a shocking car, even by the standards of the time, sort of early, mid-90s. Um, that was probably sort of objectively the worst vehicle I've ever driven. Um, the other, and I do feel like I slightly have to apologise to you for this, um, is a Saab. Um, you don't have to apologise to me. Um, You're allowed to be wrong. Well, yeah, fine. fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, the place I worked before I um, gave up and went fully self-employed um, was a car rental company, and we operated out of the showroom. And occasionally we'd just stick something in the showroom if it wasn't out on high up. And we had, um, this would be about 2009, and we had a Saab, which I think was a 9.5 in the showroom, just mm. sat there. And I kept looking at this thing, and it was a very attractive-looking car. I sat in it and sort of yeah, thought, yeah, this, I like this. This is, yeah, I'm I'm impressed. Um, so I, And I was getting to the point where I was seriously thinking, yeah, I could buy one of these. It was the right size. This was available at the right sort of money. Um, so I sort of one quiet afternoon, got it out of the showroom, took it for a drive, and I've never been as disappointed in my life. It just felt wooden. Um, and I don't know whether it was that particular car, whether it was that I was driving it around the centre of Liverpool, or um, I don't know, but it just, maybe I built it up too much in my head. Um, but it's always sort of stuck with me as such a massive disappointment. And it perhaps, mm. perhaps I need to try one again at some point in the future. Um, oh, well, I've not I've not tried a nine five, so I don't know. Yeah, I'll I, comment on that. Yeah, I think it was the it was the based on Vectra bits, I think. Um, but it just oh. it just felt wooden to drive, um, and I was so disappointed. Um, okay. I, I was at that point where if it had driven nicely, I could have been saying to somebody, right, okay, how do I get myself in one of these? But mm. it wasn't to be. Uh, can't have everything. Well, no, can't, can't win them all, can you? No. No. What car would you like to own next? Mm. Oh, yes, as you might. Bear in mind, you've just put money down on one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Regardless of that, um, I would really, really like another Mark One Renault Twingo. Um, okay. I keep looking at them and thinking, yeah, it's it's really something I'd like another of. Um, but then the problem is there's so much. Um, I'd also, and it's never going to happen because they're all extinct. Is um, Mark One Seat Ibiza? Really like one of them. Um, mm. And there's an awful lot that you know. If, if I win the lottery, a barn's not going to be big enough. I'm going to need I'm going to need Amazon's warehouse. Um, <laughs> come on, empty, empty this warehouse. I'm filling it with rubbish old eighties and nineties cars. Um, but yeah, I think I'd really like another Twingo. Um, that probably, if somebody said to me tomorrow, right, you can have one extra car, it would probably be a Twingo. Mm, okay, uh, I've never driven one of those, so. Yeah, uh, but I, I I think I need to do that just for my educational purposes. Oh, I would say so. Yes. Uh, so, what is your favourite road to drive on? Um, again, I'm giving you two. Well, what's the, what's this back one from <laughs> wherever you came back on France was probably well, yeah, quite high up. There. I think yeah, in in France, it's pretty much 
any oh, there's so much in the way of good driving roads in France um, and I think you know if you're in some sort of particularly old Renault or Citroen or Peugeot in France it's just nice to take a car home it feels like it's it's back at home and it's you know it, it sort of completes the experience nice tree-lined avenue sort of thing um, mm-hmm. and that's that's nice locally um, I mean, we're here sort of on the border of Yorkshire and Lancashire, and there is a fantastic road, which I do enjoy. I re- I was researching this about half past nine last night, and I couldn't find the road number, so I was going to give you that. Um, but um, it is Skipton Old Road between um, Cone and um, the village of Carlton near Skipton, and it is a fantastically quick enough road. Um, lots of sort of nice well-sighted curves, ups, downs, bends, and it, it's a nice sort of challenging road to do right. Um, if you get it right, you feel like you've actually accomplished something. Um, and, yeah, that's that's the one that I, I enjoy driving over that. I don't do it often, um, but if I want to go out for a sort of reasonably spirited drive, um, that's a good one, and it's fairly local. Yeah, excellent. Okay, so what is the most pointless optional extra you've experienced? Um, right, again... And you may spot a theme. I've got two. Um, <laughs> and I've got to say, I haven't actually experienced either of these. Most of the stuff I um, have owned or have driven has never had anything particularly extravagant in the way of um, accessories and optional extras. Um, but there are two I've come across recently. One, when I was sort of browsing new car brochures recently, I noticed that um, I think it's a Seat. You can have, um, for about £125, an espresso machine. And I okay. cannot imagine anything more pointless. I can see the point. Oh, it's you, vital. Yeah, you can, vital. you can make coffee in the car. But I just it's one of them things that you'd think, this is a brilliant idea. Use it once. You'd find you've got to clean it. It's full of coffee bits. And then you'd throw it in a cupboard and never see it again. And I think £120 buys a lot of takeaway coffee. Um, <laughs> uh, it, you know that you'll sort of plug it into the car. 20 minutes later, it'll be perhaps tepid enough to drink. Um and I just think, no, who thought that that was good? But I'm staying with VW Group. Um, one that I haven't come across, I think you mentioned it um, with Alan on when you were talking about the BMW the other week, is gesture control. Um, and I hadn't come across this until on Saturday. I took the kids to the cinema and they've got an advert to VW running yeah, with I just gesture saw the control. on the telly this week as well. And it just strikes me as utterly pointless. I just think, why? You've got yes, a lot, a lot of effort and money and time has gone into developing something we, yeah, we didn't need fixing we, until they messed around and made us have touchscreens. Yeah, well, yeah, touchscreens are a separate thing. But you've already got um, just steering wheel mounted stereo controls. You've got controls on the stereo. Why do I need to wave my hands in front of it? I've already got two sets of controls. Um, and I suppose the other thing on touchscreens um, is it strikes me as a little bit bizarre. Um, and I'm not defending it, but that I, it's illegal to actually use my phone handheld, which is fine. I understand that. That's correct. But I can then type in the number I want to dial to the touchscreen in the middle of the car. Mm. And that's legal. I don't see how that um, offers much in the way of safety. Um, no, yet one is I'm, legal, the other isn't. And that Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I fear that it's going to take a few accidents and people being hurt before that is redressed, yes. unfortunately. Yeah. Um, people haven't thought that through yet, unfortunately. Uh, I hope nobody does get hurt, but, you know, well, no, where I they're mean... positioned as well, you have to look down away from the road. Yes. Um, 
you know, basically you shouldn't be no, I mean, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be using it. Touch screens, full stop. No, I mean, I don't agree with people using phones in the car at all, but it just no. seems bizarre that um, the you scrolling through the phone's memory to find a contact using a touch screen is perfectly legal. And that just strikes me as odd, basically. Mm. Yep. Okay. Um, on that rather doomy, gloomy thing, well, yeah. I mean, the question is a bit that uh, is a bit that way. Uh, who do you think I should talk to next after you? A um, couple for you. Um, I know virtually everybody has mentioned Major Gav. I would <laughs> love to hear from Major Gav. Um, I love working on it. We're working Good. on that's, it. Both that's of us are that, that's on what it. I'd like to hear. Um, right, a couple for you. And who I think would be interesting, um, James Rupert, who is at Bangonomics. Um, mm-hmm. has a fantastic history um, and I think would be um, a very entertaining guest. And also um, Keith Adams, who is at Keith Parker's nowadays, of, of Parker's and um, Modern Classics and Austin Rover Online fame. Um, yes, well, uh, you'll be pleased to know all of those are on my hit list, hey. spreadsheet, as I call it. Happy days. Um, so uh, I'm glad that I am... Uh, in the same ballpark uh, and the right area for what uh, people are thinking. Wonderful. That's excellent. Oh, yeah. Well, just stay tuned and I I will do my best. I know uh, Gavin and I are desperately trying to do stuff behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, I have been in touch with James, so uh, hopefully something's going to happen with that shortly. And I have yet to release the badger on... um, (laughs) Keith, uh, but I I will be so uh, so yes yeah. so excellent I like those choices. Um, right, well it, it just uh, comes now to uh, asking what are the best ways for people to uh, get in touch, um, look at what you do, follow what you do, that sort of thing. How, how can people do that? Um, best way is I mean the website is lobsterdiecast.co.uk. Um, that's the home of everything we do. Um, we're also um, obviously on Twitter, where we're at Lobster Diecast, um, and similarly on Instagram and Facebook. Although we're still trying to get to grips with Instagram a bit, um, I keep posting things. People like them, but I don't actually know how we turn that into anything useful. Um, but it's nice anyway. Um, so yeah, we are at Lobster Diecast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, that's probably the most immediate way. Or of course, you can come and see us at the um, many and varied car shows we're doing throughout the countryside. Um, I think we range from furthest north is Leeds and the furthest south is in Kent this year. So uh, It doesn't get much more south than that. Well, no, it doesn't now. So, um, yeah, we, we get about a bit. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thank I, you. I've, Enjoyed I've it. I've been, uh, been really wanting to get you on here for quite a while because I think what you do is excellent. Uh, thank you. And, and, it, it, and it's helped. I, to, I hope I've helped to show by having you on help show everybody how what a wide universe i mean i know i say it and it sounds a bit trite at the beginning of the show but i think the motoring uh, universe is so wide and deep and brings in so many different people from so many different you know specific industries as yes. it were um and i think this is great and I, I love chatting to you on twitter and you're so kind to chat back and the stuff you put out there is great so uh, i you. wish you every success with the uh, the shows this year and with the business yeah uh, thank and you very much keep doing it in the genuine way that you're doing it we do try well yeah thank you for having me really enjoyed that cheers bye thank you bye thanks once again to david for coming on rear view and chatting to me i hope you found our conversation as fascinating as i did and if you want to suggest someone i should ask to come on this show please do get in touch if you use the hashtag #RearViewPod, we'll be guaranteed to see it in motoring podcast towers to get in touch with me directly, search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter. And if you like to keep up to date with motoring news and opinions, go try out the sister show, which is the Motoring Podcast. 
I would like to thank listener underscore Mac underscore who left a lovely rating and review on iTunes. Thank you so much. If you want to uh, help the show, this is a great way to do it. If you go to iTunes, leave the rating and review, preferably five stars if you think it's worth that. It helps other people see the show. Remember, we now have a Patreon subscription offer available at motoringpodcast.com forward slash support, which, if taken up, helps support the Motoring Podcast and what we produce. So until next time, that was David Austin, I've been Andrew Clues, and safe motoring.